we for the last couple of weeks have been looking at the book of James, James chapter one, James chapter two, and we're on James chapter three now. And I've been, uh, I've been really motivated and, and excited by the, 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 what's been coming from what we've been hearing. And Pastor Mark's teaching last week was just amazing. It was called Just Do It. Just do it. Don't stand back. Don't sit down. Just do it. Get ahead. Make it happen. Just do it. If you missed that teaching, I want you to go back online. We've got podcasts. We've got videos. And catch up with that teaching because there was something so significant with what he talked about. But now we're at chapter 3, starting from the top. Chapter 3, verse 1. It says this. Not many of you should become teachers. Well, I should just give up right now. Now, many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways, and anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a tiny, small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Wow, there is a lot in this scripture right here. And you're wondering, how is he going to get through all of this? And we're not going to be here all afternoon. Well, we'll find out, won't we? <laughs> Let's see. Hope you brought some snacks. Here we are. Okay. James, we had talked about a couple of weeks ago, was the, this is the James that was actually the half-brother of Jesus, who didn't believe in Jesus, didn't like the idea of who Jesus was, because Jesus would say, hey, by the way, I'm the son of God, right? Now, the best way to know if your, if your brother is insane is if he claims whether he's the son of God or not. So you can imagine he just thought he was nuts until he saw him die on a cross and he was brokenhearted. And then his mind changed when he saw his brother being raised from the dead. 
and that changed everything. And he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And of course, we talked about a couple of weeks ago as well, when he was writing, he was writing to many churches across the diaspora that had been the amount of Jews that had just dispersed throughout the, 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 the uh, Roman Empire. And he was writing to these churches that had become planted around the world because there were issues at hand. Now, here's the problem. There are two problems that I see initially right off the bat. The first one is he writes in circles, right? It's very proverbial. If you're reading the book of Proverbs, it's all tiny little chunks of information all kind of pasted together. And really, it's better to do a sermonette on each one of those instead of doing the whole chapter. I get it. They didn't write in chapters and verses back then, but we put chapters and verses on it. And so he goes around in a circle and he touches this point and that point and this point and that point. And that's why maybe you're hearing things being repeated week on week, but it's a bit like a wheel where it goes round and round, but it actually goes forward. But the second problem that I found with this is that letters are like listening to one side of a conversation on a, on a telephone. <clears throat> when you're listening to the Gospels and when you're reading the Gospels, I get encouraged by the Gospel because it's very much like history. It's just a recounting of events and you get all the details that you need to get when you're recounting the events. But when you're listening to, or when you're reading a letter, you're really only getting one side of the conversation of like a phone call. Let me give you an example of that. So it'd be like if I was on the phone call and I go, hey, hey John, how you doing? Hey, hey, when's the, del- when's the delivery day? When is... When's it? Oh, wow. Well, what is it? How big is it? Oh, that is awesome. What's the color? Green. Oh, that's an unusual color. Yeah. Uh, How fast does it go? Right. So what happened there? It's very difficult sometimes to try and interpret what you're reading or what you're listening to when it's only getting one side of the conversation. Like, what is he talking about? That's why sometimes it can get frustrating when you're reading certain parts of the Bible because it doesn't make sense. So what was I talking about at the beginning of the conversation that you could understand? Probably maybe a baby being delivered, but by the end of it, you thought, oh, he's talking about a car, but when I was actually talking about my new lawnmower. Hello, right? Hello. Jesus, you heard that, I need a new lawnmower. Okay, so, so, so it's sometimes difficult to do this. Now, I'm going to be honest, when I started studying this whole chapter, I put the teaching together and I got bored with my own teaching. <laughs> I, can, I can honestly say that. And I took it and I ripped it up and went, that's junk, rubbish, right? And I threw it away. Oh my God, what does this mean? Why is it so discon- it feels disconnected? What is, what is going on here? I'm listening into half of a conversation and I realized I had to flip the whole thing the other way around for it to make sense to me. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do what the great uh, psalmist, Missy Elliott, said. I'm going to flip it and reverse it. And we're going to start from the end, and we're going to go all the way back to the beginning, right? We're going to start with the end. And there are four topics when we're looking at chapter three. And of course, I I make it alliteration simply because it's easier for me to remember, at least. I I make it alliteration so we can all remember a little bit easier. And so... He talks about an office. Remember the first thing he said is, many of you shouldn't become teachers. He talks about an office, and then he talks about operation of that office, and then he talks about the outcome, and then he talks about the origin, where I have to flip this around, and I'm going to start with number four, and then go to three, and then two, and one. So I'm going to go to number four first. Here we go. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. 
For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. That's how we ended the chapter, but I think for me, this is where we need to begin. There are two wisdom sources that he points to. The first one is secular, and the second one is the sacred. He talks about heaven, and he talks about earthly. What I found is, when I have a problem in my life, it's so much easier for me to call someone up and ask for help. If I have a problem with my new lawnmower that I just got, you heard me, Jesus, my new lawnmower that I just got, it's easier for me to call or to look up Google or YouTube and get advice. And I'm not saying you should ask Jesus how to fix your lawnmowers all the time, but you know, Google's right there. He's given us Google. We can look up Google ourselves, right? But when it comes to the issues of our heart, who is an expert in the heart but Jesus, right? And so In a sense, James is saying, listen, you're looking to earthly wisdom to find solutions to your life, but we should be looking to the sacred solution to heaven. Now, that's why we pray. That's why we're part of a church. That's why we we look into the, the word of God and we ask God to give us wisdom. But how do we know when our wisdom has come from heaven or it's not? How do we know when wisdom is active in our lives? Well, there was one word that really jumped out to me that I believe that tells us that is the key word to this whole thing, and it's the word disorder. Wherever you have envy and selfish ambition, where you have earthly or secular wisdom, there you find disorder. Disorder basically means this, a state of confusion, a disruption of function. Where is it in your life? Is it in your marriage? Is it in your vocation? Is it in your business? Is it in your family? Is it in your extended family? Whereabouts is disorder in your life? I think we can all point to some level of disorder in our lives. Quite a few years ago, I was talking with a young man who was having issues with his finances and with his money, and he was really struggling in life, and it was getting him down, it was depressing him, etc. So I said, bring, bring in, bring, so c- come on in and bring, bring in all your information about what your problems are with your finances. So we sat down, we went through his finances, and we went through his money, and it was like he had enough money that was coming in. And I said, so, so why is it, it doesn't seem, well, I don't understand, why is it you're having problems with your finances? Why is it you're in debt if it seems like you have enough money coming in for one young man? And so we started to say, I'm like, okay, you know what? Let's go through this step by step, right? So you're at work, you're working, you're working. What's, what happens when you're finished work and you get your paycheck? How do you get your paycheck? Does it come to your bank? Is there someone taking it from you? How do you get it? And he said, oh, I'll just get my paycheck. And then I go down to the, the check cashing place. Or oh, like a payday loan place? And he said, yeah. And I said, how much do you pay for that? And he said, 10% of my paycheck. And I'm like, I've already found 10%, right? And I'm like, what? Why are you going there? You know that you can go to a credit union, get a bank account, and it'll be free. You can get all your, your, your checks cashed in. He goes, oh, no, I don't like that. <laughs> what? That doesn't make sense. You should, you should it's, I'm telling you, you're looking for money. I'm telling you, 10% go to the payday loan place, waste the time, take it to the credit union. I'll go down there with you. I can help you set it up. That'll help me. No, 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 I don't trust these types of banks. I'm like, where did you get this from? And the more we talked and the more we chatted, the more I discovered that that's what his parents used to do. 
and it became a pattern in his life. He had found a source that was not heavenly. He found a source that wasn't wisdom for himself, and he was losing money, and he didn't understand why he was actually losing this money. Listen, God's blessing brings order in our lives. The world brings disorder in our lives. If you've got disorder, if you've got the fruit of disorder in your life, in any area from your marriage to your business to your health or whatever it is, you can say this, that the source is obviously not God because God brings blessing to me. He brings peace to me. He brings, he brings security to me. He brings multiplication to me. My father is a good father. He gives me multiplication. He is the source of blessing in my life. If I've got disorder in my life, then something is up, Obi-Wan Kenobi. I was listening, I was reading to, about a guy recently who, who uh, just really moved me, and it was a young, it was a, a man who lived in the 1800s, and uh, there was something that, that, that happened when he was growing up, he became a young man, and, and uh, he was a drunk and an alcohol and a party and stuff, and then he got radically saved. And, he, and as he was saved, he got moved by when he saw how many orphans were on the street. So he got married, and he, he decided to bring orphans into his house, and he filled up his whole house, so he bought the house right beside him, or he rented the house right beside him, and then he filled that up with orphans, and then he bought the next house beside him, and he filled that up with orphans, and people started to complain because there was just too many orphans in the street. So he said, God, God, you told me to help the orphans. You need to give me a place to put these orphans, and so he got this huge orphanage that was able to house two, over 2,000 orphans. His name was George Muley, just an amazing guy. He was in England. And one day, he didn't have any food for the kids at all. No, no food, no milk, nothing. And so he brought all the kids in, and he made them sit down at the table, and he said, today we're going to give thanks and grace for what we're about to receive. And everyone could tell he didn't actually have any food on the table. He could tell that there was no food, and all the staff knew fine well there was no food. And he said, we're going to pray together and thank God for the food that we're about to eat. And he made them all bow their heads and they thank God for the food that they're about to eat. And you can read about this and you can Google the whole thing yourself. A knock came on the door and it was the milkman whose truck had broken down in the front of the orphanage. And he knew fine well the milk would spoil by the time he got it to the next city over. And just later, a bread van came by as well and said, we've got all this bread left over. Can you use it in your orphanage? And he said he believes that God is a good God, that he answers prayers, that when he said he's gonna be your provider, he will be your provider. So why would we act any other way? You see, he put something in order. He thanked God and he treated him like he was a good father. He treated God like he was a good father. Let me tell you, proximity is power. This is, this is Georgie here, Georgie Mueller. Someone said he looks like my father, and I'm like, eh, eh, I can see that a little bit. Beady eyes, I can see that, right? Proximity is power. Whatever you're making your proximity to, whatever your source is, whatever you spend your time with is what gives you power into your life. You have to decide who is your origin? What is your origin coming from? What is it that you're receiving from? Where is it coming from? Number three, powerful outcome, an outcome. Chapter three, verses nine to 12 says, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this shouldn't be can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. 
what he's talking about here is what I'm going to call compliments and curses. Compliments and curses. HBR, which is the Harvest Business Review, which is an interesting uh, line of books and, and source. It's got a website and everything. HBR did a study and, and, and actually published a study where it talked about the ratio between praise and criticism. And what they did was they did a study on groups of businesses and teams of people in business. And they discovered that the most functional and highly productive teams had a praise to criticism ratio of six to one. That's six compliments to one criticism, right? Even there's a book that's, uh, that I had looked at, it was called What Predicts Divorce? It uses very similar statistics. It says five to one. And it says that couples that are ready to get divorced are on their way to getting divorced, start diminishing that five to one all the way down to four to one, three to one, two to one, until it gets to one to one or zero to one. And they said, we can predict they're going to get divorced. Because there's something very important about having a team player with you, about having a supporter with you, having a cheerleader, someone who, who encourages you along down the path, someone who sucks you dry, someone who is criticizing you all the time. You're eventually going to say, I don't want you as my source. Now, don't get me wrong. Construction, constructive criticism can help people grow in the right way, and, but in the right amount, it can do that. It's not all six compliments and zero criticisms. Constructive criticism is an important thing. But you see, curses are when that balance is entirely off. And what James is saying is this. There's a couple of things I believe he's saying. The first one is this. You can't say that God is your source if your tongue disagrees with it. Hello, let me say again. You can't say that God is your source if your tongue disagrees with that very thing. Let me give you an example. You can't believe that God will and can provide for you and that's yet say, I can't afford it. What you should say is, God, what do you want me to have? Yeah. Right? You can't say that, God, that with God, nothing is impossible for God, but I can't do it. I just can't do it. Which one are you focusing on? Are you uh, pure water? Are you fresh water? Or are you salt water? No, no, no. Fresh water is God can do all things. Salt water is I can't do anything. Listen, someone is going to have to be the source in this, and it's either going to be you or it's going to be God. You can't believe that God knows everything and then complain about that you don't know what to do about something. If God knows everything, then go ask him. We talked about that a few weeks ago. It says that if you ask him for wisdom, he will give without fault. You can't say that God is good, but you are not good enough. God is so good, but I'm not good enough. And you're not good enough. And he's not good enough. Listen, you've got to decide what comes out of your mouth. You can't say that God is your source if your tongue disagrees with it. The second thing he says is this. You are a conduit of that source to someone else. Curses are criticisms devoid of blessings. Let me say it again. Curses are criticisms that are devoid of blessing. Blessing is something that we have a task to carry as Christians. Blessing should come out of our mouth. If we are criticizers and we are blamers and we are, we're constantly looking at other people or we're looking at, at politicians or we're looking at our city leaders or we're looking at our, 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 our judges or we're looking at our cell group leaders or our pastor, whatever your boss is or some of that, and all we can think of is a, is a criticism for that person, you're on the path for a divorce with your father. 
You're on the path for a divorce with the source that gives you all good things. Let me tell you, you have to decide what is going to come out of your mouth. Here's the number two. We've gone from number four, number three, and now we're at number two. Number two, chapter three, verses three to eight says this. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. He's talking about steering and sparking. Steering and sparking. Your tongue is steering and sparking your life. Words are the commands. They're the steering to your actions. Your actions will always follow what your words are. If you say it, you will act it out eventually. This is why I think it's important to learn how to control our words. Sometimes when I'm working with people who don't know what to do next, they don't know how to achieve the things that they really want to do, they're maybe stuck in a place one of the things I always do is I'll try and take them back to what was the source? Where did that belief come from? Sometimes it can be because you came from a dysfunctional family or a dysfunctional fa- uh, marriage even that has actually made you believe that you're not capable of doing the things that you really want to do. And sometimes you have to cut that off emotionally and you have to decide, I'm done with that source. And then the next thing I always ask them is number one. Two things I always ask them. Number one, what do you want? What do you want? What do you want? Sounds like a conversation with my wife on a Friday night trying to pick a restaurant. What do you want? What do you want? We have to take the desires in our heart and confess them from our mouth, get them from our heart and put them into words and get them out of us because words are powerful. What is it that you want? Well, I don't know if what I want is good. Listen, if God has put it in your heart, it will come to pass. If it's not put it in your heart, it's just gonna fade away. Listen, if he's put it in your heart, trust that what he's put in your heart is good, and if he doesn't want you to do it, he won't support it. But if he does want you to do it, he's ready to give you provision for the vision that he's put in your heart. So get it out of your mouth, get it out of your heart, let it come out and speak the words, and they'll say, well, I'd love to travel. Good, that's awesome, you love to travel? Yeah, I really want to travel. Where do you wanna travel? I really want to go to, oh, I'd love to go to New York. New York, that's fantastic. Then comes my next question. Here's the second most important question. First one is, what do you want? The second one is, when are you going to do it? When are you going to do it? Well, I don't know when I'm going to do it. Okay, I I know that. I already knew that. When are you going to make a decision? When are you going to do it? I'll do it by the end of this year. Good. Okay, then here's the final question for you. What's your next step to make that happen? What is it? It's really simple. What, what's your next step? Well, I, uh, um, uh, I may, well maybe, maybe I should start getting some money together or something. Great, get some money together. Or maybe I should tell my boss and take, get some time off during that, that time. Great, go ahead and do the things that you know to do. Listen, if your actions will always follow what your words are, because as Pastor Mark talked about last week, your faith is contained within your actions, but your belief is contained within your words. Your belief is within your mouth. Words, number one, are commands. 
Words that are commands to your actions. The second one is this, that words create a feedback loop. Have you ever heard a microphone where you have a microphone and it gets too close to the, to the, the speaker and it starts going, and it's really annoying, right? It takes up all your attention and you can't hear yourself think. Words are that same thing. Your microphone is your heart and your volumator, your, your amplifier is your mouth. And as you say it, it feeds back into your heart and you start to believe more of what you just said, right? And as you say it, you start to believe it in your heart. And as you believe it in your heart, a boldness rises up inside of you and it comes out of your mouth and go, I think I am going to do that very thing. Do you see what I'm saying? This isn't just positive thinking, Tony Robbins stuff. This is right from the word of God. Hello. Listen, it comes out of your mouth and it volumizes, it amplifies into your heart and it grows inside of you to have the boldness that you've always desired to have to do the things that God has called you to do, to do the things that God has planted inside of your heart. Let it out from your mouth. Why tell God what you can't do when he's busy telling you what he can do through you? Hello, come on now. It's time to change our words. It's time to change our operation of how we use our words. And the final thing, I believe, the effect of words in your life, words are commands to your actions. Words create a feedback loop inside of you. And words connect you to kingdom activation. To kingdom activation. You ever get your credit card, right? You get your credit card and it's got a number on the back and it says, to activate this card, do what? Call. Get some words, get some communication out there. Connect yourself to the source of the bank. Connect yourself to the source of the power. Activate what that bank wants to do for you. If you want to activate your phone, you still have to call it in and borrow someone else's phone. If you want to activate things, you have to communicate. You have to make a connection with the source. And let me tell you, when you make a connection with the source, they say, you are now ready to use your card. You're now ready to use your words. You're now ready to put it into action. You're now ready to make it happen. The amazing thing is, and maybe you don't, maybe you don't like the way that Jesus said this, but in Mark chapter 11, 24, he said, whatever you ask in prayer, if you believe that you will receive it, it will be given to you. Now, I'm not a health and wealth type of guy, you know, just blab it and grab it type of thing. But listen, if God has put that vision and that calling inside of you, then get it out of you so that it can come to pass. If you don't pray it up, if you don't give it up, if you don't give it out, how is it going to come to pass? Because you need to make that phone call to activate it. Listen, God did it in the beginning, Genesis 1. He said, let there be light. Let there be animals on the earth. Let this come to pass. The power of words are so powerful. In Proverbs 18, 21, it says, the power of life and death is within the... Ah! So who's your source? Who are you mimicking? What words are you using? It takes us to all the way to number one. All the way to number one. And he says this, not many of you should become teachers. I don't like this verse. Actually, it's a really scary verse for someone like me. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways, and anyone who is never at fault in what, he, what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. 
The two things he's pointing at is authority and accountability. Authority and accountability. Don't become a teacher. You'll notice in the second verse there, he says, we all stumble in many ways. We all do it. I know I'm going to stumble. I know you're going to stumble. I know it's the way it's going to happen. I'm not perfect. I know that. I know that Christ is doing a perfect work within me, and he's trying, to, he's trying to perfect us. He's not saying that everyone should be perfect that has something to say or has something to teach, but there are two things that I really think that he's trying to point at here, and the first one is this. He's writing about problems that were happening back then, and it's bad teachers, there was bad teachers going around trying to tell people, no, 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 here's the rules and regulations that you have to live by. No, no, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. If you don't, if you don't get up at six o'clock in the morning and do your, your morning time with Jesus, then your daily bread, then of course you're not a Christian. If you don't come to the temple every day and you don't eat this certain food and you don't uh, pray this certain way and you don't give this a certain amount to, to the, the synagogue or to the church, then you're not really a Christian. Maybe you come from a church like that. Maybe we've even said that to you. And I believe there is a right way and there is a wrong way to follow Christ. I believe that. But what he is dealing with here is teachers that were putting chains on Christians, telling them to act a certain way in order to earn their way into the kingdom of God. And that's not what Jesus came to do. But the second thing he did was, he was talking about, is a universal problem. And that is that when you become a teacher, when you become, let me put it like this, when you become a Christian, you draw greater scrutiny towards yourself. So maybe we should put it like this. Many of you shouldn't become Christians if you're not willing to live the life because Christianity is not something that will get you into heaven. It's only Christ that can get you into heaven. So I heard someone years ago said, uh, smoking will take you to hell. I disagree with that. I think it makes you smell like you've been there, but it doesn't take you there. I heard someone say, uh, uh, was asking, uh, it was a very good teacher, I can't remember his name, but um, he said, uh, does, does homosexuality take you to hell? And he said, well, heterosexuality doesn't take you to heaven, so I'm not sure how that would work taking you to hell. You see, we come up with these rules and regulations. I'm not trying to make a, an edict of what you should believe about that right here and right now. We're not, we're not here talking about that particular thing. But he's saying we shouldn't become a teacher because we, grow, we draw greater scrutiny upon ourselves. To some degree, we shouldn't really become Christians because we will draw greater scrutiny upon ourselves. When I was a child, I grew up as a, a pastor's kid, and I actually hated being a pastor's kid because my father's office always drew scrutiny upon myself. I hated it that, 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 that people would say, well, he's a Christian, he can't do that stuff. You know when you're, cool, when you're young and, you, and you, you wanna be cool like the other kids? You know, like, hey, let's go do this bad thing. Well, Brunton can't do it, he's a pastor's kid, he can't do that, right? And I'm like, I, I can do it! And then something inside of me goes, no, you can't do it. And you're like, I do I wanna do it though, right? And I just desire to go and do those things. But I'm kind of glad now I look back on it and realize I was given such a good gift. But I'll never forget this one teacher at school when I was acting up or playing up or something like that. And she, and she stopped the whole class and went, Peter Brunton, sit down and shut up, right? Oh, it sounds like my mother. Sit down and shut up on the chair. <laughs> and, she, and then she started to berate me. And there was one thing that she said that always stuck with me. And she said, and you, a pastor's child, and then walked away. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget being held to a standard that I didn't choose. And I get it if you're a pastor's kid, but when you become a Christian, or if you even become a teacher, 
you are held to a standard that you did choose. And scrutiny is something that is a part of our Christian walk, whether we like it or not. Years ago, I was on a stage preaching at another church, and I was talking about conquering the kingdom of God and doing great things for the, for, for the kingdom of God. And I was saying, it's like Columbus, who conquered America, and he was the first one to discover America, right? And someone went, nope. Oh, totally shot down my momentum right there in that moment. And, I, and, I, and as I was thinking about it, I walked away and went, you're right. He didn't find America because it wasn't lost in the first place, right? So a whole bunch of Indians went, we already found it, right? So, so and I'm like, okay, so that you didn't, he was the first one to open up to Europe, right? And he went, yep. I'll never forget it. It was like a live scrutiny that was going on in my life. Now, could you imagine having a live scrutiny of everything that you do? When you go to the store and you're, you're busy picking out food that you really shouldn't have and you really shouldn't be eating, and someone comes along and goes, nope. Your body's a temple of God, right? And you're like, put it back on the shelf, right? When you get down with a box of Cheetos right in front of the TV and you go, start watching, so someone walks in and goes, nope. Body's a temple of God. You're like, <laughs> you start watching something that you shouldn't be watching and someone comes in and goes, nope, shouldn't be watching that. Would you like that? <laughs> I love this crowd. <laughs> No, we wouldn't. We don't want to be scrutinized, do we? But if you want to be a Christian, you've got to be scrutinized. The world is going to scrutinize you, but the first person that I want to scrutinize me is the Holy Spirit. I want him to give me that, 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 that twinge of guilt within me, that conscience movement within me that says, no, no, don't do that. It's not good. That's going to infect the source. Your source is pure water. Don't put salt water in there. Get something good within you. I've got much for you to do. Yeah, take some time to relax, but don't watch that junk. Don't eat that junk. Don't swallow what that person has just said to you. Don't go do that thing over there. That's not worth it. It will infect your heart. You see what I'm saying? And he's saying, listen, you will be scrutinized even more than before. One of the things my father used to do was he rarely traveled by himself because he didn't want to be in a destination or on a journey where someone could say, I think you did this. Or he wouldn't want to be in a position where he'd be tempted by something or he'd be accused by something because of this one particular thing that is so important, and it's this, that you're severely judged because your mistakes affect more than just yourself. It affects the next generation and the next generation, and even the next generation. It affects the people that are looking up to you that you didn't realize are looking up to you. Now, I feel the pain of that because I'm teaching things that I go home, and then I'll start struggling with myself. You know, don't think that after I've given a teaching, I just go home and go, man, I was awesome, right? The first thing I always do is I go back to my house, I start doubting what God had given me that day. But that's the wrestle that God has given us as Christians. And if you're a doubter or you're someone that struggles with depression, you've got to press on through and get back to that source. Get to that source and spend some time with your Savior. Spend some time with the Holy Spirit that is inside of you and say, I'm going to believe what you believe. I'm going to repeat back to you what's good about you and stop focusing on me. Listen. James is writing to people, and even though it sounds like he's rebuking them, I believe he's still he's encouraging them. 
Get back to your source. Get back to your source. And today, I want you to do something right now. I want you to decide to have an actionable step in your life, to decide which step that you have to take with all of this. You have to get back to your source and spend time with your Father. You have to change the words that you're saying. Do you have to decide what action you're gonna take next? What step are you gonna take? Talk about it, talk about it, talk about it. Do something as Pastor Mark talked about last week. Is it your source, is it your words, or is it your action? Because that will all dictate what your authority is in your life, in your family, in your business, and in your community.